Looking today in the book of Hebrews chapter 7 and starting at verse 23. And would you please stand as read from God's word. In Hebrews, in this section in particular, it talks a lot about the, the Old Testament priests and their work and their role. But then he leads into talking about Jesus and the kind of priest he is. It says, now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. Lord, thank you that the Son is perfect forever and the Son is a perfect sacrifice for sin. The Son is a perfect Savior, the one that we need. Pray that you'd be so gracious as to speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple times I've had a chance to visit the U.S. Capitol and I've had friends who were working in the Capitol at the time. And because they were working inside, they were able to come to me outside and then get me in. Couldn't get in just on my own, but there was somebody in there who could come in, get me, and then could show me around inside. You need somebody inside who can come to the outside and bring you in when ways that are much more important than getting into the U.S. Capitol, Jesus is on the inside. And Jesus is able to come, and he's able to bring us in. The, the ascension, in a way, it's about how Jesus has gone back from this earth. He's gone, and he's there in the presence of God. And because he's there in the presence of God at the right hand of the throne, He's able to bring our prayers, he's able to bring our souls inside. Jesus is the one we need to intercede for us. Intercede, it means going to God on our behalf. That's the kind of work that a priest does. But the reality is our prayers can't reach God on our own. No matter how well you word them, no matter how eloquent they might be, no matter if you use religious language, no matter if you're good and moral, still our prayers don't get to God just on our own. We need someone who, who brings them to God. And Jesus is the one. And we need one who is holy and pure. Jesus is described here in Hebrews as the priest, the high priest, and he's described as holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners. Set apart from sinners means he's, he's different. We're the sinners that he's, he's talking about here, and he's saying Jesus isn't like us, and he's not like any other priest. He's not like human priests. The human priests, as he talks about elsewhere here in Hebrews, they 
they had sacrifices they had to make for their own sins. And they'd bring sacrifices to the altar and they'd make these sacrifices for the people, but the understanding was they were sinful too. And they were sacrificing not just for the people, but for themselves. We need a high priest who didn't have his own sin he had to pay for. And Jesus is that one. We needed one who was blameless, one who had no sin, one who was perfect, one who was pure, and that's Jesus alone. In Hebrews 4 and verse 15, it says, We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Faced all the same temptations that we face. But he didn't mess up once. He didn't slip up once. He didn't fall short once. He was without sin. We needed one who walked this earth, one who faced all the temptations, but who did it perfectly. One who was sinless. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, it says, But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. The only way someone could take away our sins was if he had no sin of his own. And that is, is Jesus. That's why he is accepted into the holy place. That's why he was able to ascend and be accepted into holiness is because he is holy. He can take away our sins because he doesn't have his own. Imagine somebody who's carrying a whole bunch of luggage of their own and then they say, well, I'll help you carry your luggage. And then you look and you say, well, your hands are full with your own luggage. How are you going to help me with mine? Oh, For somebody to help you with your baggage, they need to have their hands free from carrying their own baggage. Well, we all have, in a way, we'd say our own baggage of sin. We have our own baggage from our past of falling short, of not being perfect, of doing the wrong thing. We all have our own sin baggage that we're carrying. And so we can't take somebody else's sin baggage because we have our own. We need one who doesn't have sin baggage, who can take ours. And Jesus had no sin baggage of his own, but was willing to graciously come and and take ours and take our baggage on himself. We need one who's holy and pure, and that's Jesus. And we need one who is able to, to bear the sin of many, as Isaiah 53 says, for he bore the sin of many. Meaning he took the sin of our, our sin and he made intercession for the transgressors. He's able to be the go-between, make intercession because he is sinless. And we need one who lives forever. The earthly priests, as he talks here in Hebrews, they were all temporary. Death prevented them from continuing on. And as he says, they weren't permanent. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. He's never leaving his position. He's never getting to the place where he can't serve in that position of being the intercessor anymore. In a way, the the ascension is this affirmation that Jesus lives forever. Disciples, maybe after the resurrection, they're wondering, well, what happens next? Lazarus was raised from the dead, but then Lazarus, he died again. But Jesus, he was raised from the dead, but then he ascended into heaven alive and they could 
new and it affirmed he's alive forever. We're just not seeing him, but he's not going into the ground anymore. He's not going into a tomb anymore. Instead, he's going to heaven, but he's still alive. And so he is alive forever. He faced death once, but never facing it again. He went into heaven. He didn't go in the grave. And he always, as it says here, he always lives to intercede. We need one who is always there for us. We need one who is always praying for us. We need one who is always forgiving, always there to shower mercy and grace upon us. In Hebrews chapter 13, it says, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. He's the one who will never leave, and so he's always our helper. He's the one we can always turn to because he's never going to be leaving. He's never going to be facing death ever again. In Revelation 1, as Jesus appears to, to John, he comes to him and he declares who he is. He says, I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. He's the living one. He always holds the key. We know who always is holding the keys of life and death. We know the one who's always there, the one who always has the power and authority. As I said, I had a chance a couple times, got into the U.S. Capitol, had friends who were working there, but I don't have any friend working there anymore. That's how it goes with things like that. You have For a time, you have a friend who works at a place and they can get you in, but then... Time comes and friends leave positions. They go on to other things. But Jesus, he's never leaving his position. He can always bring our prayers and our needs. He can always bring us to God because he's always there. He's never getting voted out of office. His party's never losing an election that he's going to not be in power anymore. He's always there for us. We rejoice that he is, as he describes himself throughout Scripture, he is the great I am. He's the one who's always present. He's the one that we need, and he is the one who is above all others. There's no one else who can do what he can do. There's no one else who's holy, blameless, and pure. There's no one else who's defeated death. There's no one else who is exalted above all others. He's exalted above all others. He's above all earthly priests. He's above all rulers. He's above the heavens. He's above the earth. The, the ascension, it's him being taken up into the sky, and it's something that literally happened. And there's also, in a way, a symbolism of him being taken up that, that is representing that truth that he is taken up and he's above this earth. He's above all the stuff of this earth, all the rulers of this earth. He's above the sky. He's above the heavens. He's above all else in the universe. Psalm 113 in verse 4, it says, The Lord is exalted over all the nations. His glory is above the heavens. He's not confined as we are. He's above all the heavens, this earth and this sky were way too small to just contain him. Uh, it doesn't contain his glory. His glory exceeds. 
In, in Philippians chapter 2, it, it talks about how Jesus humbled himself. He went to the cross for us. And then it declares in verse 9, it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. In a way, that's part of what happened in the ascension. In the ascension, he was exalted to the highest place. He was taken from this earth and exalted to the highest place, brought to the, the throne room to the right hand of the throne of God. And his name is above all others. In Ephesians chapter 1, it speaks about Jesus and it says that the Father raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. That's what he did. As he completed his earthly mission, he was raised from the dead and then he was brought out of this earth and then seated at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all others. We rejoice that he is seated in the place of authority and that there is no other authority that compares to his. Recently, King Charles at his coronation as king of the British Empire. Now, imagine if just kind of every little part of the British Empire said, well, we don't have anything against Charles, but we think we're going to have our own king. And then another little part of the empire says, well, we think we'll have our own king. And everybody just started picking their own king and said, well, we're going to follow this king and that king. And pretty soon you'd kind of have some chaos in the British Empire. <laughs> if every little village and every little part just said, we'll have our own king. Well, in a way, that's what people think they can do when it comes to King Jesus. They think, well, we're just going to pick our own God that we're going to follow. And we're going to follow this one as authority and, and somebody else says, no, we're going to have this one as authority. No, you don't pick your own king. There's one who is the king who reigns over all. There's one who is the authority and we give thanks that there is one king who's above all kings. There is one who's authority and it means there's order. Even if this world seems out of order, we know there's one king and it's Jesus. And he meets our need like no one else. He's above all others in authority and he's above all others in what he can do and how he can care for us. As it says here in Hebrews, such a high priest meets our need. He meets our need of having a perfect sacrifice that pays the penalty for all of our sins. He alone can meet that need. Because he is alone is the one who, who is perfect and who is true God and true man and able to make the perfect payment for sin. He meets our need of being able to save. He meets our need of forgiveness. He meets our need of protection, of direction, of wisdom. He meets our spiritual needs. He meets our physical needs. He is the one that, that does that. All these other priests, they would try to serve. A lot of them would try the best they could to serve people. Just like we try the best we can to meet the needs of other people. But we're limited in what we can do to meet other people's needs. But Jesus, he is able to meet our needs. Jesus can do what the, high, the priest needs to do, but he is the only one who can be the true priest. A, a priest's role was to connect people with God. But to really connect people with God, he needs to be connected to both the people and God. 
And so Jesus needed to be both true God and true man in order to connect us. And he is the only one who is true God, true man, and can bring us and, bring, and unite us to God in a way that's symbolized in the, the ascension. The ascension is described in Acts 1 and verse 9. It's describing Jesus. It says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight. Jesus was taken up in a human body. It was a resurrected body. It was still a human body. In a way, there's that statement going on in this, that there's a human body that gets to enter the heavenly realm. And he's making a statement to us that he's saying he goes before us, and now he brings us. Human beings get to be in the presence of God because of Jesus being human and being divine. In Hebrews 4, in verses 14 and 16, it describes it a little more. It says, we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. He's gone through the heavens, and then in verse 16, it says what we get to do now. It says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because he has gone through the heavens, now we get to approach the throne of grace. And we get to do so with confidence. We went last week, uh, Kathy and I went up to Vancouver, and before going up, we went through, we had a, a bag of bag of Canadian money. This isn't it. This is a variety of currency here. But we had a, had a bag that had a variety of currency and we're going through and trying to figure out, okay, what, what coin can we use up there now? And what, what is something that they're going to take up there? You want to use the right kind of currency because they don't take just anything. They take their currency. Way it's similar even more so when we think of entering the heavenly realm. You can't just use anything. And think that it's going to work. You can't just use anything and think it'll pay for my sin. It was only Jesus. The world offers a whole lot of the wrong currency. The world will say, well, you can get in the heavenly realms through being religious or being good or following these rules, doing this, doing that, and this will pay for your sin. This will get you in. No, that currency doesn't work. But the blood of Christ shed on the cross for us, that's a currency that works. And we trust in him because he's above all others. And we trust in him because he is alive and interceding for us. These verses and others, they, they teach about what Jesus is doing right now. He ascended into heaven and, and then it leads to the question, well, okay, he ascended up there. What's he doing now? What he's doing now is he intercedes for us. He prays for us. And we get to pray, we get to come to God through Jesus. Interceding means he's opened the way that he, he gives us access. And because he's at the right hand of the Father, our prayers can reach the Father. Our prayers get heard because of Jesus. And we, we pray, often we pray, we say in Jesus' name, and we do it not because it's just some kind of magic word or something, but we pray because it reminds us, it's a declaration to us of this is why we get to pray, because of Jesus. Jesus makes it possible. We get to come to him. He is the one who opens the door. He's the one who gives us access. 
our prayer, our soul can enter the heavenly realm. And then in his return, at the end of this life, we get to enter it with our body, our soul, our whole being. Because Jesus is the way. As he declares in John 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the one who opens. No one else ascended. No one else went to the right hand of the Father. And no one opens a way for us to come there except for Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 10, in verses 19 and 20, it says, We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us. A new way has been opened for us through Christ. The way has been opened up. We rejoice that a way is opened up that we can enter in. Our prayers enter in. Our faith enters into the throne of God. Great Wolf Lodge is a, a place where people stay, and then they go to water parks and stuff down Centralia. And, and they give one of these wristbands for, for going in, and you get the wristband, and the wristband means you can go and you can do the different quests and games they have there. You can go to the different water parks and everything. And we've had grandkids who went there, and they still have the wristband on. And, and they kind of got that message from that, okay, this wristband is a key. You get into all the fun stuff as long as you keep the wristband on. When a way we had to have that vision, Jesus is the way we get to all the good stuff. Jesus is a way we get to enjoy life. We get to find hope. We get to find grace. We get forgiveness. We get cared for, and it's all because of Jesus. And so we hold on to him. Tighter and those kids hold on to that wristband. Tighter in anything else, we hold on to Christ because we know that's how we get into everything that's good and meaningful and that we need for life. We hold on to Christ. He's the one, and he is able to save completely. Not a partial salvation. The, the human priests, they would make a sacrifice, but they knew, well, the sacrifice, it pays for maybe this week's sin, but it's not paying for next week. And it's maybe paying for the sin that we remembered, but maybe doesn't pay for the sin we don't even remember we did. And so they had to keep coming back, and the human priest would have to come back and repeat the sacrifice again and again and again. But Jesus is a complete sacrifice. He saves, as he says, completely. He declared on the cross that his work was finished. And now we don't have to wonder, we don't have to worry is there something more that we have to do? Instead, we receive the gift of his perfect, completed work. In Hebrews chapter 10, in verses 17 and 18, it says, There are sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Our sin is remembered no more. He, he says it's been paid for when we have faith in Christ. His sacrifice is complete. He's not going to remind us about what we've done. He says it's done. It's taken care of. And he says there's no longer any sacrifice needed, meaning we don't have to keep trying to pay for it. Instead, we rejoice in his completed work. We're mowing lawns this time of year. And we mow lawns and we do so with the knowledge that we're going to need to do it again. 
And we mow it and we mow it and you get it done and you look back and it's great and it's great to have it done and mowed and you look back at it, but you also do so knowing it's going to grow again and I'm going to have to mow it again. And then you keep on doing it. Well, that's in a way how the human priests were trying to deal with sin and that's how a lot of people are trying to deal with their sin. Try to do a bunch of good work to make up for the bad but then they sin again, and then they wonder, well, did I get it done? No, I got to try to sacrifice again, and I'll, I'll try to do some good work again, and hopefully I can maybe stay ahead of it a little bit. No, you're never, if you're doing on your own good works, trying to pay for your sin, you're never staying ahead of it. But by faith in Christ, we say it, it's done. And now, in a way, we get picture it. Now what we get to do is we get to help other people with their lawns. We get to help other people who their sin problem keeps growing and growing and we get to go to them and we get to tell them, let me tell you about what Christ has done for me. He dealt with my sin and he can deal with yours too. Jesus is interceding for us. Each day, Jesus intercedes for us. He always lives to intercede. He goes to the Father on our behalf, our needs get presented to the throne room of Christ, God's holy place. He brings our prayers and he brings them before the throne. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 34, he says, Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. It's great having people pray for you. And I'm thankful for people, you guys and others who pray for me. But even better than that is having Jesus pray for us. Jesus, the Son of God, the one who is listened to, the one who has authority, the one who is right there. He's praying for you. Jesus said in John chapter 16, right before he went to the cross, he said, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. We don't think of the ascension and say, boy, that's too bad. <laughs> no, we think of the ascension and we say it's good for us. He went to bring our prayers to the throne and then he sends the Holy Spirit to be here living in us. We have it better than anybody. We have Jesus at the throne praying for us and we have the Holy Spirit in us. And so we go forward in faith that the Holy Spirit is with us and Jesus is praying. And Jesus is making intercession for us. In 1 John chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. It's a way, it's a, a description, a legal description. It's kind of a legal word, that sense of an advocate, one who is like a defense attorney. We have one who's a defense attorney. Our, our attorney is speaking on our behalf. He's speaking in our defense. And think of it as a, a heavenly court and imagine a heavenly courtroom. And, and there's... The evil one is making accusations, but every time he makes accusations, Jesus is right there in the court. And he's telling the evil one, that sin has been paid for, you need to be quiet. 
Every accusation is shot down because Jesus is there. He's saying it was paid for at the cross. It's paid for at the cross. There's no longer any charges. And then he speaks to the, the father, the judge, and he, he calls to the father to be gracious. And this is unlike any other courtroom because our defense attorney is the son of the judge. And our defense attorney is beloved by the judge. And so we know we have the best defense attorney you can ever find. And he speaks on our behalf. He speaks on our defense. They have that phrase in legal situations. They say the person who tries to defend themselves has a fool for a client and a fool for an attorney. It is a foolish thing to try to defend yourself. It is a foolish thing to think you can go to the throne of God just by yourself. Don't try to do that. Instead, rejoice that you have Jesus willing to speak in your defense. Rejoice that Jesus is willing and wanting to pray for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for interceding for us. Thank you for ascending to the throne to pray for us. How gracious, how merciful. What a great gift, what a great privilege that you are there interceding on our behalf. Lord, help us to, to not try to just think it in our merits or our goodness that somehow we can approach you, but help us instead to rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen.